0: 2 Timothy 3, we'll read verses 14 and 15, Foundations of Faith, we continue in this series, Holy Scripture being most necessary. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We pray that you might write it upon our hearts, give us such a knowledge of it, that we might be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We continue in our series on foundations of faith. The scripture we saw is necessary because the light of nature cannot save men. Romans 1, 18 through 25, the light of nature condemns men. It shows that they are inexcusable. We saw the certainty of the words of truth from Proverbs 22, verses 17 through 21. The law and the testimony, Isaiah 8, verses 19 through 20, if they peep and mutter and speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Then we saw our Savior in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, that man shall not live by bread alone merely to satisfy his appetites, but rather upon every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We saw that God, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, God was pleased to give us a written record of his will to commit the same completely and entirely to writing. Now this chapter, chapter 3 of Second Timothy, begins with the description of perilous times. Look there at verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Then he gives a description of these perilous times. Now to Timothy and to others, Paul has already spoken of these times. He calls it the apostasy in 1 Timothy chapter four. In first, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter two, he describes for us in vivid detail that we ought not to expect the coming of Christ to be soon or the Thessalonians should not, because there had to be certain events that would occur prior to the second coming of Christ. And we've been reading about that in the book of Revelation. There would not be a speedy return of Christ because there had to be an apostasy first. And that apostasy would lead to deceits. It would lead to a man who exalts himself, who would get worse and worse, as we'll see in this passage, going from bad to worse. It would be filled with lies and all kinds of vices and wickedness. That's what he's describing in verses 2 and following. Men loving themselves, being covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Remember they blasphemed God when he sent hail against them. They must be proud and they must be blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, etc. But notice verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Here the apostle says that in the end times there will be troubles and dangers. There will be a an apostasy that will characterize itself in two ways. One, by all kinds of lawlessness and evil, and two, by a form of godliness. A show, you might say, that we fear God. An external appearance of holiness, that's what the word form means. An external appearance that we are godly, but when the power of godly comes into effect, that is, do you believe what God says? Do you obey what he commands? Well, the answer is no, it's hypocrisy. They creep into houses, lead captive, silly women, laden with sins, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just like Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so these withstand the truth. What truth? We're going to find out. They're men of corrupt minds Reprobate concerning the faith. This is what Paul describes as the apostasy or the falling away, the perilous times in the last days. But notice verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Isn't that what we read about? Remember the pouring out of the plague and the kingdom was filled with darkness? When the Antichrist's seat was attacked, when his throne was destroyed, his kingdom was exposed, wasn't it? Their folly shall be made manifest unto all men. Then by contrast, verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here, notice, Paul, having described the apostasy itself in verses 1 through 9, parallel to 1 Timothy 4, giving us the hallmarks of the man of sin, of his lawless kingdom, and the eventual exposure publicly of his works of darkness, as we've been reading about in Revelation in the seven final plagues. Now in verses 10 through 13, what does he do? But... That's a very important word. It's called an adversative conjunction. It's joining together with the prior thought, but giving you a new thing to think about, something different from what went before. Here is the man of sin and his ministry, you might say. Here is the apostolic ministry. These men shall proceed no further. Their works will be exposed, but thou hast fully known my doctrine my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, etc. Paul's ministry, a true Christian ministry, has doctrines and fruits consistent with the gospel, whereas the anti-Christian ministry will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Remember, first he's a star in the constellation of God's heaven, Then he falls to the earth and poisons the wells and streams. Then he becomes a beast in the abyss and opens up the pit and smoke belches out. Then you find him getting worse and worse and worse until finally God plagues his seat. And what does he do? Meekly submit, walk off the stage, give up the fight, blasphemes heaven. That's what he does. He gets worse and worse. Wormwood to Apollyon, to a hellish, abysmal, earthly beast, to a whore that commits fornication with all nations, defies the judgments of God, and calls herself queen. Worse and worse. But notice there verse 14. But continue thou, he says. In contrast, with the kingdom of darkness and the itching ears of the man of sin, contrasted with that, Timothy, continue thou. And the word thou is put there twice. First, he puts it in a pronoun, thou. Then he puts it in the verb, thou continue. This is extremely emphatic. But thou, even thou, keep on continuing. In Greek, they can contain the pronouns in the verbs themselves. They don't need to put them in there. Thou continue is the verb. Then he adds the word to make it impressed upon the mind of Timothy. Thou, even thou, contrasted with them. Keep on continuing. Keep doing it constantly. Do not give out. Do not give up. Do not give in. Continue thou in what? In the things which thou hast learned. In the entire counsel of God. In the Holy Scriptures, verse 15. And those solid doctrines, that manner of life, that purpose and faith of the Apostle himself as he taught it and exemplified it, verse 10. Those are the things Timothy was to continue in. Because you see, the kingdom of darkness will reject the word of God. Yes, a form of godliness, but not the power, not the substance, not the truth, not the doctrine, not the duties. No, not those. Notice, not only has Timothy learned these things, he has been assured of them. This is an aorist passive Somebody else assured Timothy of these things. Namely, God himself through the apostolic ministry. God assured Timothy. Now there is a verb that means to believe. This means to be caused to believe. It's a passive verb. You have been given this assurance by God himself once and for all. You have been assured or made to believe these things that you learned. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them, he says. Now this word knowing describes how he was assured, how he learned them. How was it? Knowing of whom he received them. Now the word whom is singular and masculine. It refers to the apostle himself. It does not refer to his mother It does not refer to his grandmother as blessed as he was to have those. It refers to a man who taught him, Paul himself. How did he learn? Knowing of the apostle Paul that he learned them. How did he become assured? By the ministry of the apostle Paul. John Diodati comments, Whom thou hast sufficiently known to be a true apostle guided by the Holy Ghost, and mayest also be better assured thereof by examining the Holy Scriptures. You've heard me, you can be assured that I've taught them to you, and you can look into the Word of God itself, which brings us to verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice here, that from a child, this word child can mean in your mother's womb, a little baby, an infant in arms, from that very point of being newborn until now, from then on, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, or literally, the Holy Scriptures emphatically, thou hast come to know. In the perfect tense, you came to know them in time past, that knowledge continues with you to this very day, from the moment of your childhood until now. This word know means to have a perception or a mental understanding of something, to see it with the mind's eye, to have a clear sight of the thing. When he was just an infant, he came to know these things. Now notice the words holy scriptures. The word holy normally in the Bible we think of is hagios. It means a saint or a holy one. This is not that word. This word is hiera, which usually refers to a temple or the articles in a temple. The ark was holy. The altar was holy. The temple was holy. The testimony of scripture was holy. It was divine. It was instituted by God, spoken by Him. Holy writings. This word means what belongs to divinity, what is sacred or holy, as opposed to what is profane. Used as a noun, the holy or the holy place, it is used of a sacred enclosed area under the protection of a god as a temple predominantly of the temple of God in Jerusalem. Tahirah are those things that belong to the temple, its service, those things that are holy and sacred. The writings are sacred. They are holy. They are devoted to God. They are from God and for God so that we might know God and worship him. These writings are no ordinary book, no profane book, much less a heathen book of fables sacred holy divine writings not profane not common not ordinary but holy and devoted to God himself notice these holy scriptures these divine writings are able he says the writings that are holy. I mean those that are able, he says. He repeats the definite article and the same case as the word the writings, the scriptures. The scriptures, I mean those scriptures that are able, that are powerful. They have a certain dunamis, Or power or ability they can accomplish a specific task they can get the job done what job to make thee wise unto salvation which sacred things are able thee emphatically to make wise he says now this word to make wise is one in the Greek it comes from the noun for wisdom Sophia so means to make you wise, to cause you to learn and understand, to instruct, to give wisdom. Those holy and divine scriptures, they have a power to cause you to become wise unto salvation, to have knowledge and instruction which leads to salvation now what Bible is he talking about what do you suppose Timothy had the Gospel of Matthew Mark Luke John Acts no you know what he had Genesis Exodus Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy all the way in the Jewish Bible to 2nd Chronicles we would say to Malachi They had all of the Old Testament, in other words. Those sacred and divine scriptures, inspired by the Spirit of God, had a power to make him wise to salvation. And to add insult to injury, he says, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Did you know that the Old Testament teaches that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ? Did you know it doesn't have a doctrine of justification by works? Did you know it doesn't say that you can keep your justification by works? It doesn't teach Second Temple Judaism. It doesn't teach the Talmud. It doesn't teach any of that trash. It teaches that you may be justified through believing in one object only, and only by believing. Sola Fide, solo Cristo, Sola Scriptura. There it is, in the Old Testament. Scripture gives us the sort of wisdom and instruction as leads a man unto salvation by one means only, believing in Christ Jesus. God has appointed one particular means Of salvation he's declared it he's published it he's detailed it within the pages of those divine and sacred written documents oh that kind of levels off the Old and New Testament yeah exactly some people want it to be a progressive revelation just like they want everything to be progressive because they are progressives but is it could Timothy learn of faith in Jesus Christ and being justified through faith alone in him from the Old Testament? Yes. They had the power to teach him that, to make him wise unto that. Now the word Christ, you know, we think of the name Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first name, Christ is the last name. No, that's not right. Christ means God in the flesh. The prophet the priest, the king. Jesus means he shall save his people from their sins. God in the flesh, prophet, priest, and king, saving his people from their sins. That's in the Old Testament. That's taught by the pages of the sacred writings, the Holy Scripture. And scripture alone is the only place where we may receive such wisdom. Scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, taught to Timothy when he was a child, when he heard the oracles of God read, he learned those doctrines. I note then this doctrine and a series of doctrines and applications from these most important verses. First doctrine, Infants are capable of knowing the doctrines of our holy scriptures. Infants are capable of knowing the doctrines of our holy scriptures. Oh, I'll teach my kids later. Once they can respond to me, then I'll start teaching. Well, it's a little too late at that point. Timothy heard this possibly when he was in his mother's womb. That's what the word brephos can mean. A baby in the womb or a newborn child that child can come to know the doctrines of our holy religion. Timothy knew them as such, and he continued to know them from the divine scriptures from his infancy till Paul wrote him this letter. And the knowledge that he had, had the power in it to make him wise unto salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there are those who say that the Bible is an unintelligible book, that the common man cannot understand its basic teachings. And because that's the case, guess what? You need us. You need some elite. You need some, oh, shall we call it, pope or councils or bishops. You need someone to tell you what it means because, well, just reading it, And saying, well, it says what it says. That's not good enough. You need us to interpret it for you. Is that what the apostle said to Timothy? Pretty sure he didn't. He said from the time he was an infant, he knew those scriptures. And that those scriptures had the power to make him wise unto salvation. Are there things in the Bible that require explanation? Yes. Has Christ appointed a ministry to explain those oracles? Yes. Are therefore the basic teachings unintelligible? No. Those who would make the Bible a labyrinth that no one can understand but the experts are mistaken. There is a place for both parental and pastoral instruction, but not because the Bible's basic teachings of salvation are somehow obscured. Let us then read the word of God even to our infants. Let us bring them to the school of Christ for discipleship in the church. Let us pray with and for our children, worshiping God together in families and in public. God requires this. A second doctrine. The scriptures are holy, divine, and relate to God's rule and dominion. The scriptures are holy, they are divine, and they relate to God's rule and dominion. The sacred writings are not profane. They are related to those truths of worship and salvation. They're God-breathed, verse 16 tells us. They are sufficient for all that the man of God needs, verse 17 informs us. These are no common and ordinary writings. Now, if you get a chance to ever read some of these fools, you'll find that many people look on the Bible like they look on the works of Plato or Aristotle, and they do what is called criticism. It's where kritikos is a judge. They sit in judgment on the text of the Bible and they say, ah, oh, this isn't really true. This isn't really part of the Bible. No, this part, oh, that's an interpolation of the 4th century. Oh, no, this is a fable. You see, this didn't really happen because who can turn five loaves and two fish into 12 baskets of fragments? Well, no one can. Have you ever observed it? I haven't. Therefore, it could not happen. You see what they're doing? I'm judge. God is subject to my judgment. That's what they're saying. Are they treating this... As the divine and sacred book that it is? No. They treat it as some profane garbage like Plato. Well, can you criticize Plato? Sure, you could. I could read Plato. Oh, that's trash. Oh, that's pretty good. Garbage. That's all right. Not sure about that one. Can I do that? Yeah, because it's Plato. It's just a man. Is that what the Bible is? No. Holy scripture, sacred, divine, devoted to God, the most holy. The Bible is no book of fables, not like the heathen books, not subject to our textual or our doctrinal criticisms, our judgments of our finite and sinful minds, as we may judge of profane writers. Let us receive the word of God as it is, truly divine and holy, as God's oracles of truth, with power to give us wisdom unto salvation. This wisdom that it gives leads us to faith in the God-man, the mediator. He alone saves us from our sins. A third doctrine. This passage is filled with good for us believers. A third doctrine. The divine scriptures of the Old Testament teach the same gospel as the holy apostles. The divine scriptures of the Old Testament teach the same gospel as the holy apostles. Timothy's mother was a Jewess, his father was a Greek, and as a good Jewish mother, he read the Bible to her, or she read the Bible to Timothy when he was an infant, perhaps even in the womb. She would read the oracles of God to her son. Those oracles are what he's talking about. Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. They teach that man is saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what they teach. I don't care what seminary professors say. The oracle of God has it that Timothy learned the Old Testament, the same faith that I have as a Christian. And therefore, if given a choice between seminary professor A and the apostle B, I choose B. A, you can get lost, I don't care. He said it's the same gospel. Timothy learned it sitting on his mother's knee, perhaps in her womb. This is a rebuke to those who vainly prattle that the Old Testament had a different doctrine of salvation from the new. Oh, well, you see... When God instituted the Ten Commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, that was a covenant of works. Or sort of. You know, it's kind of like the covenant of works, where if you did good deeds, God would save you. And if you stop doing good deeds, you kind of lose your salvation. Really? Is that what Paul just said? That somehow Timothy learned those scriptures which were not able to make him wise? By giving him the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he could believe and be saved? Is that what Paul said? Nonsense. The Bible does not teach the Pharisees legalism or synergism. That is, you're jointly justified by your works and God's grace. That's synergism. You cooperate with the grace of God like the papists teach. So do the Jews because they're just like the Jews. Only they profess to be Christians. No, 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 no. The Old Testament doesn't teach that doctrine of salvation. Did the Jews teach it in Paul's day? Yes. Does the Talmud teach it? Yes. Does Ben Shapiro teach it? Yes. Does Moses teach it? No. Moses condemns it. Those who vainly prattle that the Old Testament teaches a different doctrine of salvation, you know what they're saying? The Jews are right, we Christians are wrong. The apostles were wrong, the Jews were right. No! The apostles were right, the Jews were wrong. Justification is not by works in the Old Testament. It is by faith in Jesus Christ and by his mediatorial work alone in the Old Testament. Let us be wise scribes, bringing forth, as our Lord said, things new and things old. Do we know John, Paul, Peter? Let us also know Zephaniah, Hosea, and Samuel. Not just one testament, but both. They are ours, not theirs. Another doctrine... The declaration of God's will in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is most necessary. The declaration of God's will in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is most necessary. Now the word necessary, let me explain. To cease, cessory that's the second part of the word, means to stop. Nay means No. So when something is necessary, it cannot stop. If you would desire to know God, you must of necessity have the Bible. There's nothing else you can say that about in terms of the knowledge that we need to be saved. There is no other book. There's no other writing. There's no other person because God spoke his word. Who else can give us knowledge necessary for salvation? Only God. Everything else is optional. The Bible is not optional. It is necessary to salvation. It is most necessary. We saw from Romans 1 that the light of nature, because of man's wickedness, makes men inexcusable. It doesn't make them saved. It leads them to damnation. The wrath of God is revealed on men's ungodliness and unrighteousness, though they have the light of nature. God gives us, we saw last week, so that we might have the certainty of the words of truth, a written record of his will. We saw that in the Proverbs. We saw it in Isaiah 8 and Matthew 4. Scripture is most necessary. How will we know the way of salvation? How will we know of the Savior himself? How will we know the means by which we obtain salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We won't know any of those things without the scriptures. They are most necessary. This rebukes the Wormwood doctrine that scripture is useful, but not necessary. It's nice, you know, brush you up a little bit. What you really need are the traditions of the church. That's necessary. Without that, you're going to burn in hell. You might have the Bible, you might not, but it's okay. It's not necessary. It's optional. If you have the Bible, you must have the Antichrist tradition. You must. You see the audacity of such a statement. Wormwood teaches, the scriptures are not necessary. They may be useful. And the practice of many professed evangelical churches is not much different. Where's the word? I don't know. Can't find it. Where is it? Is it in the teaching? No. They read it? No. They Sing it? No. They pray according to it? No. What what can we then conclude about their worship? There's no God in it. It's atheism. God has spoken. He says this word is necessary. If you want to know how it is to be saved, where will you find it? In the word. So what does Satan say? Well, let's get rid of that. You know, what you need to focus on is feeling good. What you need to focus on is this nice idea over here. This, let's call it worldview. Let's entertain you with rock concerts. Let's talk about psychology and, you know, how your mind works and your growing up years and how to manage your sins, you know, by psychology. Let's talk about that. No, let's not. Let's get rid of the baubles and the trifles and the trash and the nonsense and bring back the one thing necessary, the word of Almighty God. Mm -hmm. These holy scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but they're not that big of a deal. After all, people don't want to hear them. They have what? Itching ears. I'd like to hear fables. Stop telling me the truth. This is how many supposedly gospel churches behave. Would you be wise unto salvation? There's only one book necessary, the divine scripture. Would you know Christ Jesus? Don't imagine and build an image in your mind of what he is. Tole lege. Take it up and read. You can find out what sort of Christ there is in the gospel. Would you be delivered from the wrath of God? He says salvation. What is salvation? God delivering us from his justice. The sins that provoke his wrath. We need good news that we may be delivered from the wrath of God, revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Look to the law, look to the testimony, for if they speak not according to them, it is because there is no light in them.